0: Hello, it's Fangrass Audio. I'm Carson Sestouli. Today, uh, Thursday, lead prospect writer Kyle McDaniel released his list, his top prospect list for the Colorado Rockies and what follows. We discussed that list. We discussed apropos of little, except for the fact that they're really talented, a number of Cubs prospects. We also consider the very near future of Carlos Rodon, White Sox prospect Carlos Rodon, who was drafted this year and might very well make his major league debut this year. Before we do any of that, however, there is a brief musical interlude, which, as he has in previous weeks, uh, Kylie McDaniel has forced me to insert at the beginning of this podcast. So there will be a brief musical interlude and in a conversation with Kylie McDaniel. I want to talk about another um, another sad franchise first, though, um, because they have not only just called up um, one of their top outfielder outfield prospects, but they've called up over the course of the last um, I don't know I don't know what the exact uh, timeline is, but we'd say month they've called up an, a couple of their top prospects, uh, and that's the Cubs. It's not it's not a secret. I'm just going to say the Cubs the whole time. The, um, you didn't change who it was going to be halfway through. No, I didn't. But but so you you recently wrote up the fact that um, uh, Jorge Soler uh, was was recently promoted. But they've also promoted. I was
1: really it. tempted to correct the pronunciation, but I knew that you knew that that was right, so it didn't feel it didn't feel right.
0: No, what what is the pronunciation?
1: No, that's correct. I was okay. going to make up a dumb one to make you self conscious uh, about it,
0: well, it. I was actually because I was thinking was if it's like if it has like a French if it's Soleil but I I assumed that was not the case. Yeah, yeah, no, you got it. I got it. But the um, – uh, yeah, so Soler, they just called up. Uh, you you wrote about that briefly. Of course, Javier Baez, I think, was called up just r- r- towards the beginning of August. Uh, and they've also had – I think it was probably less um, celebrated or less widely celebrated, but the, the recall or the promotion of um, Arismendi de Alcantara. And then a couple of smaller pieces, uh, li- literally smaller because they're, they're smaller people – in uh, Logan Watkins and Matt, I think it's Matt Caesar. Is that what you've heard that's correct. And they are not sort of top flight prospects, but they're also guys who could be pieces on a successful baseball team.
1: Yeah, I guess it's uh, they're at that point where you they next year they may be not in a race, but at least games will sort of matter. So mm-hmm. I guess this is the time when you kind of. Some guys that are close or guys that are ready, you uh, get a look at what you think they have so you can uh, plan on the offseason because it's obviously the sort of embarrassment of hitting riches has been well-documented. You want to sort of figure out where everybody fits.
0: Right, yeah. And there's that's been a question about it, right, because Alcantara has played some shortstop. Uh, obviously, Javier Baez um, has played some shortstop. I don't necessarily know what how they were regarded uh, I, I, certainly, well, I certainly don't have as good an idea of you as how highly they were regarded for their uh, shortstop defense, but of course Starlin Castro was at the position, and then there's um, they've also had a they've also had uh, prospects at third base uh, in in Mike Holt and um, Josh Vitters, although uh, Vitters of course is not really the name he he has been in the past. Um, but yeah, I mean, do you do you sort of I mean, I, ultimately. A guy's a you know is a good infielder or not, or he's a good outfielder or not, but there are some specifications. Do you have do you have sort of like a sense of what the you know at this point what their opening day defensive alignment would be for next year?
1: Uh, I think it'll depend on how they approach. Uh, uh, Sorry, Castro. Um, because, I, I mean, obviously he's sort of the incumbent proven, he's the one guy that you sort of know what he is, and Russell sort of belongs there. Like, he's a good shortstop, probably just as good defensively as Castro is, and probably has more offensive upside. So you'd and like that's, to-
0: Addison, that's Addison That's Russell you're mentioning.
1: Yeah, sorry, Who just Addison,
0: Who's right. just only added to the, I mean, they already had the middle infield prospects, and he's, you know, by some accounts, could be the most talented of all of them, at least defensively.
1: So, in an ideal world, you start with sort of the shortstop first and so you have Castro and Russell and they're roughly equivalent uh Russell probably has you know you're not positive what he's going to do when he gets called up right away it could be a you know gangbusters as some prospects do or more likely struggles for a little bit so obviously Castro is probably better in the short term Russell projects to be a little better roughly equivalent defensively um Castro's got a pretty good contract uh so you don't It'd make it easy if you traded him. you just stick Russell in. Uh, but he's got sort of a good enough deal and is a good enough commodity. You don't just dump him, much like people just assume Texas would dump Andrews to make room for Profar, uh, which they didn't. And I I don't know if they look smart or not. I guess we'll have to find out five years from now. Um, so that's kind of the place you start. And then Alcantara probably fits best at second, but you can stick him in center. Baez, I think, fits best at third, uh, but he also can play second. And then, like you said, that's where some of the sort of fringier guys uh, can sort of fill in as you're trying to figure out where everyone fits and kind of moving guys around. Uh, Bryant, technically, plays third base.
0: Oh, yeah, the Chris Bryant. God, they have a lot yeah, of minor he, leaguers.
1: You could start him at third. I think he ends up in right field, but he might play third for a couple of years. He's been a little better than people expected, but it's sort of fringy for the time being. He's still a little sort of gangly 6'5". It's kind of average at best. I think it's probably below average. Uh, and then the outfield's crowded because if, like, say you keep one of these more fringy guys, uh, at Rizzo in the infield at second and first, you then have Alcantara in center field, you got Moro, who's not ready yet, he'll be in double A, but he's on the way, uh, you got Schwarber's gonna be in double A next year, you got Vogelbach at first baseman.
0: Oh my gosh, yeah. Short,
1: fat guy, he'll be in double A next year. I actually was just watching Daytona and Haya yesterday and, uh, they had, uh, Schwarber and Vogelbach. And then you already have Solares up, uh, Billy McKinney is more of a fourth outfielder to me, and he's in high. He'll be in double-A next year. Like, they have too many guys, and I know you're supposed to say, like, oh, well, not everybody works out. you got to, you know, move guys around, and, you know, this guy's not going to work out and all that sort of thing. So, uh, I don't know. If I had to guess, I would say it ends up as Russell at short, Baez at third, Alcantara at second, Rizzo at first, uh Soler and Bryant on the outfield corners, and mm-hmm. then – Al Mora in center, but then that leaves Vogelbach, and I guess then also leaves Schwarber out. And Schwarber can catch like once a week, but he's more of a left field or first baseman. So you potentially you have Vogelbach, Schwarber, and Rizzo all at first base left over, and then obviously some other of the fringier guys, and Billy McKinney and those guys are left over.
0: Right. So, so it you sounds good, like you've yeah. you
1: got plenty of room for a couple elite guys to do basically nothing. But obviously you don't find out immediately, you have to give them some time first. So yeah, it's still, it's still a little messy, but the good kind of messy.
0: This, uh... So it, it's, it's a really impressive crop. I mean, you, you hear teams say, well, we're in a rebuilding phase, right? And, or even if they don't say it, you can say, well, that team's in a rebuilding phase. And there's this idea that if, that if you agree, if you announce that you're in a rebuilding f- phase, that somehow you, you, will have all these, you will have prospects all sort of graduating to the majors at the same time. Rarely does that, does that actually occur, though. Uh, Because, you know, for every X number of prospects who you expect uh, to be competent in the major leagues, you know, a a pretty substantial percentage of them don't work out. It it appears to be the case, though, at this point that some of these guys are – I mean, these guys are working out for the Cubs to some degree. I mean, Baez is doing precisely what anyone would have expected if you would just say, well – Hey, here are Javier Baez's stats in the minor leagues. What do you think he'll do over his first hundred plate appearances in the majors? I um, mean, he's more or less done that. He's struck out a billion times. Uh, he's hit a bunch of home runs, and you know it's come out to something. I guess. But,
1: yeah, that's what you expected when you got on that roller coaster, though.
0: <laughs> right, and that's also, and you know, uh, if you maybe adjust his uh, his babip up a little bit, um, he's a league average hitter, which I think the, you know you accept. Out of a uh, you know twenty-one year old, um, that's fine. But uh, now, do you do you sort of recall? Uh, m- my point is though that it it rarely does it happen that it actually comes to fruition that these uh, that you're able to graduate so many prospects at the same time. But that's that's what the Cubs appear to be doing at the moment. I'm curious if you recall uh, a, a sort of a, a team in recent history having a crop like this.
1: I don't. I feel like there's been teams before where you can look at say high A and above and see of a lineup of eight hitters, there's like six or seven of them are, you know, like in place and above average. I don't think any team's ever had nine before. And the Cubs, I was actually kind of, for the sake, was kind of hoping they would take Max Pentecost, the catcher, out of Kennesaw State instead of Schwarber at four overall, which there were rumors that was their second choice if, you know, Schwarber was there for some reason, which he was going to be, Um because then they would have the full lineup. Because catcher is sort of the spot where you're like, uh, we're not sure, we'll figure it out, which is actually – I feel like Tampa might have had a point briefly where they had a group like this. It wasn't as heralded, and it wasn't mostly in the minor leagues so that no one had failed and everyone seemed so great. Uh, but I feel like they had a pretty good group, and obviously there were, were the rumors that I've had confirmed that the scouts wanted to take Andrew McCutcheon, and ownership made them take Wayne Townsend, and they had a coin flip between Tim Beckham and Buster Posey, and they took Tim Beckham. And so, of course, you get, you know.
0: Those are a couple get, pieces that would have been valuable.
1: And they were the team I was referring to that, like, didn't have the catcher, but seemed to have, like, an interesting guy at every position. And then obviously, if you put another center fielder in that group where they had BJ Upton back when he was good and Desmond Jennings and all these guys, then, uh, yeah. And there was a, there was a rumored Rocco Baldelli trade that they turned down just before he, you know, sadly his, uh, his career ended. And it apparently involved, uh, one of the deals included Elvis Andrus coming from the Braves. Mm-hmm. Um, which, of course, eventually went to Texas and to share a trade. Um, so, yeah, there's there's actually – I guess those are three of the – I think there's actually a couple more sort of near misses of stars that could have made their sort of, I guess, rare group of talent that was handled well by the big league staff even more rare. But I think even this Cubs group is uh, – I, I might have three or four m- additional top prospects, and it seems even better, like I said, because they were almost all in the minors at one point, and so none of them had really failed before – and so all of them seem to still have all of their upside intact. Whereas mm-hmm. I feel like the Rays, it was sort of like top five pick from five years ago, top five pick from this year. And so one of those guys is in the big leagues, like Carl Crawford, working stuff out. Another one's in A ball, and you're you're still not sure what could happen. And I'm sure there's better examples of that. Right. I, in the last episode, I mentioned the Generation K thing for the Mets, and it was what Isringhausen, Pulsifer, and Paul Wilson. And I guess none of them worked out traditionally.
0: Right, and then there was uh, the Rangers right had Edison Edison Volquez. Thomas Diamond. Diamond,
1: yeah, and, and then, uh, uh, it was DVD is what they called it. So that was what, Volquez, Diamond, and who was the other one?
0: The,
1: I should probably know this. Let me Google it.
0: Volquez, Diamond, Danks.
1: Yeah, John Danks,
0: okay. yeah, there you go. So right.
1: Volquez became something, Danks became something kind of like he was supposed to become, and then Diamond kind of blew out. Hmm.
0: Two out of three pitchers isn't, uh, isn't so bad, I guess
1: yeah usually these guys get named when they're in like double a. It's not like three guys in a ball uh, right so yeah, I just pulled up a fangraphs article mentioning the the d v d trio oh, I yeah. guess the, I guess we did our
0: job yeah, there you go. they're succeeding elsewhere, yeah, that was four years ago, wow uh yeah well, okay, uh yeah, I didn't necessarily want to uh dwell on the cubs but it it did strike me it it to the point now where you're right like i'm a i was uh, because I'm a dummy in part, but also because they have such an embarrassment of riches. Uh, that it's easy sometimes to overlook a talented player they might have because there's an even more talented player there as well. Here, here's a question, though. What happened to Josh Vitters? Vitters, I think, was three times in the top 100 for Baseball America. And, of course, those lists are – that's not merely the opinion of the editors of Baseball America. That's typically information that is uh, aggregated from uh, scouts and organizations. And so there's obviously some something like consensus – that Josh Bitters for some time was a top 100 prospect. I think he had, if I'm not mistaken, he had decent contact skills and, I think, uh, developing power. Uh, But now he's not even really a consideration. Uh, It doesn't seem to be, certainly not to the degree that Chris Bryan is, part of the organization's plans, even though he's only 24 years old, which is, you know, there have been players who've graduated to the majors at 24, 25, and gone on to have... Uh, reasonably successful careers, but you don't really expect that out of Vitters at this point. I'm curious, from your point of view, uh, what happened to Vitters?
1: Uh, I got a chance to see him, so, uh, I, so I'm in the Florida State League, uh, so I actually have an opinion on this one. Um, he, I, he, I've used him in examples before. Two things happened with him. Uh, one, he's like uh, he's a big dude. He's like 6'2", 6'3", like two hundred, two ten. 210. Like the body looks like a third baseman's supposed to look. The swing is, like, as pretty of a right-handed swing as you'll ever see. And he was one of those guys that was known, like, early in his high school career, was, you know, sort of always been very good. And I use him, Delman Young, and somebody else. I'm already forgetting who it was. so like I guess I don't use them that often. As examples of uh, a guy that is so talented early in his career that he can hit anything. Uh, like I'm, I mean, he didn't walk very much in the minors. I'm looking at his minor league numbers on, on Fangraphs. I don't think he struck out in a full season above twenty percent at any point, and he basically didn't make the majors because he didn't make enough contact. So it's like a weird case where it was he didn't strike out that much, but his uh, approach was so, I don't want to say so bad, but it was bad enough, and I think it was started from being able to hit whatever he wanted to, so he got into some bad habits. And he was so talented, he could like get to double A with those bad habits and still not strike out 20% of the time mm-hmm. and not walk that much. Uh, it's actually, I don't know if I ever mentioned it in the first podcast where we talked about the Rangers and I mentioned that some of the comments, comments, uh, commenters, um, didn't understand the comment on Nick Williams, uh, who is a guy with plus bat speed, makes a ton of contact, is hitting like 280 at every level. He's 20 in double A. He's very athletic. And I gave him I think a fifty five bat because people are concerned that his approach is bad enough. he's always going to strike at at least twenty five percent. He hasn't really made adjustments that well, but he's so talented he's gonna hit two eighty against guys throwing eighty eight to ninety basic, basically. Mm-hmm. But then when he gets to the big leagues, that's gonna turn into thirty three percent strikeouts, a lower BABIP, can't can uh can't put the ball on everything, and then all of a sudden he's hitting you know two fifty or two forty. and then when he's not walking and he doesn't have like huge power. Then it's you know we got like an extra outfielder, which is kind of what happened with Vitters. Maybe that's the example I should use, even though they're different sorts of players. Um, is you never strike out that much, you also don't walk that much. You can hit almost anything, and as you get farther up the chain, you make weaker and weaker contact, get into worse uh, situations. He with Vitters also, I think, lost a little athleticism. I. I had I didn't see him until he got to high. A. I was told he was a pretty natural third baseman. Might move, might not. And when I saw him, it was kind of stiff, kind of like bends at the waist rather than at the knees, like just seemed a little clunky, uh, which Chris Bryant is maybe as good now, and he's like three inches taller and significantly sort of longer limbs and has sort of more of an excuse to look that way. Uh, so he kind of lost his defensive value. I, th- I think some of the bad speed might have went away. I think I remember hearing that sort of later in the career. I obviously, I haven't talked to scouts about him recently. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think he's an example sort of like the Nick Williams thing where you, you can be picked high, given a lot of money, a rare talent, and numbers still be pretty good, but then it just doesn't work at the big league level, but it works at almost every other level. And I actually got comments on the Rockies list today about a guy, Kyle Parker.
0: Yeah, actually, just- I was going to – well, you, we were thinking the same thing as sort of a segue yeah. to this Rockies list because Parker – Hasn't really ever struck out more than twenty percent of the time, but you also mentioned that there's that uh, generally there's uh, there's a swing and miss to his offensive approach.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's not outrageous bat speed, it's not outrageous bat control, um, and it's you know got some field to hit is uh, you know has I don't know he, he just hits well, which obviously the uh, the stats point out. But it's not huge, it's not huge tools in any one way, and he gets in sort of bad enough counts and situations, and sort of weaker contact the higher he goes up the, the chain, uh, that scouts sort of doubt him. And like, I think, I wanna say he was like third on the baseball America list, like he's still really high last year, and I remember watching him the fall league last year, and I was kinda looking at scouts, I was like, this doesn't look right, is he like hurt or something? Like – it just seems sort of like a average, maybe slightly above bat speed, like not real flexible, seems completely uninterested in playing defense as a right-right first baseman, and he's like six two, two hundred, 200, that kind of thing. And uh, I, I don't know, I was just kind of asking, like, what's what's going on? And they're like, yeah, I don't like him. I don't know why he's rated so high. I, I never really liked him that much. I know he was a first-round pick, and, you know, he has some numbers. He's sort of easy to get on board with, but, uh, you know, that's not my guy. And, right. uh, yeah, I, I, and again – we, I explained in the, in an the, in early Instagram post and in the first podcast how scouting misses on certain kinds of guys. The problem is they don't miss on this kind of guy. Like, they're supposed to get this guy right. So often when a guy gets written off as he can't really hit, he's mostly a platoon guy, like Vitters or Parker or, or Nick Williams is probably the better version of that. People think he'll be a 50, which would be an average everyday player. Uh they're supposed to get that guy right and they generally don't write a guy off like that and then he ends up being good. I wanna say Xavier Navy might be the only example of a guy that was heralded, got a kind of written off, people thought he wouldn't be an everyday guy, then he kinda was and they were a little wrong. But he was one of those guys that just kind of a roller coaster ride in general.
0: Right, 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 right. Uh but so yeah, Parker so Parker there's a I guess it's just a what it's just a question when you see him it, you say, Well, yeah, that's good. But in the context of the larger package, you say, well, there's not going to be, it's not enough, you know, to make him an uh, an everyday player, probably.
1: Especially when he's a a smaller for a power hitter, first base, right, right guy that doesn't have, he might have 60 power, but might be more of a 55 game power guy. He's going to have to be at least a 55 bet anyway, and basically has to keep doing what he's doing in the minors. And guys, yeah, guys don't think that's going to happen. Which that's the kind of guy you can sort of be confident taking the crap on as a scout because it's like it's unlikely he'll do that and if he does it's not going to be a 70 bet you're not going to be wrong wrong it's just going to be you put a 40 or a 45 on and be turned into a 50 Mm -hmm. uh so it's it's kind of a safe bet but yeah like i said that's the that's the kind of guy scouts tend to get right and want to bet on and when so when they start betting against him you kind of pay attention
0: i want to ask you about the the number one guy in the organization uh, for you which is john gray right-handed pitcher uh went to oklahoma drafted third overall and a lot of that, as you note, uh, had to do with his arm speed. Um, I think it, what at certain points in when pitching for Oklahoma, uh, he was, what, 90-something, uh, 90, 90 95? I feel like
1: 95 to 98 hit 100, like most outings in, in his last year of college.
0: Right. And now one of the points to make was that was a bit of a departure for him. That was uh, He hadn't necessarily demonstrated that sort of arm speed previous.
1: He was up to ninety five Four or ninety-five, like his first three outings of that season, like he wasn't even throwing that hard when the season started,
0: right? And so that was so that was a new thing. And you say that that's one of the reasons, and, and that makes sense, right? If it's if it's new velocity, say, well, where did it come from? And also, can his body handle it? Uh, that's that's a question. And then you also note, and I've definitely heard this before, but I have a question about it that I have had the opportunity to ask. You know, when he goes from getting six days of rest to four, you know, on average. Uh, you're going to see a drop in velocity. It's just you're using your arm and your shoulder more, and your body is tired. And also, you're getting older. Even if even it's you know not necessarily a thing you say about it, what a 22, 23 year old, but it doesn't. You peak at a certain. You peak pretty young in terms of those types of aches and pains that can affect you like that. Uh, and you'd say now his velocity's down, which is not shocking. 92, 94. Do you have a a sort of rule of thumb, a kind of um, the kind of offhand uh, uh, algorithm that you would apply to the decrease in velocity relative to that jump between uh, college and uh, professional baseball?
1: Um, Well, he was sort of a rare fighter to begin with. And like I said, I think he was a unique case that I kind of – like when you're reading this stuff on the Internet, often it's – there's like a handful of people that are like talking to enough scouts that are really getting like multiple opinions on players. And so a lot of times you'll see – uh, people sort of parroting something that gets said or parroting a report that was out there or parroting what one guy told them. And so there isn't an example of a guy with a maxed out body like Grey has that as an amateur doesn't have any projection left. That velocity jumps like four ticks out of nowhere and so there's no like old list to go look at to get an idea of how good he is. There's very few guys that throw a hundred. There's very, even fewer that do it as a starter. And, uh, and then also when you're doing it on six days rest, he also tested positive for amphetamines before the draft. So there was no idea. I didn't put that in the report cause I don't know. It seemed kind of unfair cause it's not like he's throwing 88. Now we're trying to find what's wrong with him, but that's like another thing where people aren't really sure what, what that meant. Um, cause obviously you can't take those going forward and it's a version of speed, whether it was like prescribed or needed it or not, it helps you sort of do things better. So maybe it makes you throw harder. um, so that sort of specific example had to happen before, and that's why I felt it was necessary to point those things out, where it was like, we don't know if his body can handle this. This is new velocity. Often look at Jeff Hoffman this year with ECU that went, I think, ninth overall to the Blue Jays. He started throwing 94 to 97 every time out, and by about the 40th inning he was doing that, his elbow popped. It appeared, at least uh, from what happened so far, that his body couldn't handle that, and we're not sure it can handle it going forward, which obviously affects the projection. Um now, Gray hasn't had that problem, and the Rockies told me, and some scouts are speculating, oh, they told him to dial things down a little bit. They want him to work on sort of command and movement and, you know, sort of all those sort of starter traits uh, that, you, that you work on as opposed to, like, the raw tools. And apparently in the one inning at the Texas League All-Star game, he hit 98. So everyone's like, oh, okay, yeah, it's still in there. Uh, we're, we're just seeing something a little bit different, which everyone seems to have either guessed or told me that's what's happening. Um, but there's, I'm sure there's a a graph somewhere on the internet that shows that their velocity goes down
0: uh, pretty consistently from day one.
1: And like every pitcher, it happens like Verlander's VLO goes down by the time you're just 27. Maybe it stays the same from 21 to 26, but at 28, it's going to be lower. And so, and you look at Felix Hernandez is like hitting a hundred or 98 or whatever it was consistently. And now he's what, like 90 to 93, like, It's going to happen. And so I was like, whether it's going to happen immediately because of some of those factors I mentioned, or it's going to happen at 26 when he kind of reaches his potential, he's going to pitch at 92-94. So people saying he's going to be a number one starter with below average command, because he throws 100, like that's not going to happen again when he's in the big leagues. And if it does, then we've got something seriously weird on our hands like a Strasburg or a Verlander. Um, so I was always a little skeptical saying, all right, he's probably going to throw 92-95, to 95, solidly plus pitch. His slider's still going to be plus. changeup's probably going to be above average, which all has been said so far uh, from scouts this year. And the command and athleticism are both below average. He can probably get to average. They cleaned up his delivery after he signed. Most people think it'll get there and he'll be sort of like a three starter, maybe a two, maybe a four, depending on when you saw him and what his velocity was and exactly how crisp everything was. And it basically comes down to how well he can make adjustments, make his delivery work for him, and if the velo kind of stays at 91 to 95 or if it maybe jumps up a little bit once he finishes working on what he's working on or if it was sort of always supposed to be there in the first place. And I and the problem is the average prospect reader all they remember is Baseball America had him number one on their list that so he's a potential number one starter and he throws a hundred and so they're expecting Strasburg and then they see like, you know, video of him. They're like, oh, this guy's like 6'3", 240 and he's, you know, hitting 95 on a good day. Like, what's wrong with this guy? Cause they remember the popular thing, which happened with Rodon. Nicholas Rodon, obviously the, uh, uh Carson's a Stooly favorite. Um, well,
0: yeah, I mean, he's got a beautiful slider that you can you know, look but at But he went day.
1: number three overall, and everyone had been saying, there was a the term Rodon Island was mentioned, how nobody was as good as he was. And I was trying to tell people, I saw him when he was a sophomore, and he threw 89 to 91 for five out of six innings, one of the outings I saw. And if you read anything on the internet, everything said, oh, it's 93 to 97, the whole game. And I was like, well, I saw him 89 to 91, and then I have a recording of him telling me after the game my shoulder kind of hurt. Nobody knew that because they weren't going to those games then. Scouts were going to those games. And then that's exactly what happened this spring. And everyone's like, oh, well, maybe we'll come off that a little bit. And I was like, I'm not trying to ruin everyone's party. I'm not trying to say that every hugely hyped prospect is wrong. But people uh, who sort of dabble in this or people who you know, sort of parachute in for a certain part of the year to be an expert about stuff – often don't have the context for what's happening the whole year or if they do they get it way too late and then all of a sudden it became well Rodon's not the best guy for some teams but this one time he was really good or somebody will say I went to his game I just saw him I don't see what's wrong he hit 97 off a stadium gun and so then it gets sort of muddled and then when he doesn't go number one everyone's like oh the Astros are stupid they didn't take the best player and I was like it was the best player from what you were told two years ago and then some people didn't update their uh, their take, which I think that all turned into a rant, but I, I, th- I think I found myself
0: at the end. <laughs> I think you did, yeah. Well, I wanna, I, I do want to ask you about Rodon because uh, in a, in a moment he has the opportunity to become a major leaguer. I think somewhat surprisingly, I mean surprisingly in the sense that it rarely happens that someone is drafted and pitches the major league that same season. Uh, but I want to ask you first about uh, I, I, I don't know if this is the best way to do it, but we're going to do it this way. If you would, because the the. Uh, Rockies, once again, this year, this uh, draft, they took another pitcher um, in the in the first round. In this case, it was out of Evansville, it was, uh, Kyle Freeland. And I was wondering just maybe just if you would compare and contrast maybe Gray, who was the first round uh, top pick last year, and then uh, Freeland and what he offers uh, similarly, differently, etc.
1: Yeah, so I mentioned in Freeland's report uh, something that I – uh, I believe it was a tweet report from right before the draft. I talked to a couple teams that were picking, Freeland ended up going eighth overall. He was rumored to go there for a while. Uh, and then before the draft, uh, there was some sort of medical questions. Uh, so, uh, my report was, talked to a couple scouting directors that were picking in the twenties, and they said, we already he might slip to us. If he slips to us, I'm not even sure we take him. And in every mock draft, Freeland was going like seventh or eighth or tenth or twelfth or something like that. And I was like, alright, that's notable. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think I'd hear that. And so the medical background that sort of makes all this hazy, uh, he had arthroscopic elbow surgery when he was a freshman in high school, uh, which he went to high school in Colorado near Denver, and the Denver doctor, the Rockies doctor, is the one that did it. Uh, he was throwing, like, mid-80s as a senior in high school, which is why I went to Evansville and not a big-time school. He then, as end of his sophomore year on the Cape, when I saw him, was 91 to 94 hits 95, uh, flash the plus slider, but delivery was okay, but it was a little off-balance, a little bit more effort than you'd like to see. He toned it down a little bit early in the year, and then at other times it sort of got back toned up, and it's not worse than Chris Sale. Uh, he's been healthy for seven years. His velocity hasn't really been up and down, so sort of the traditional markers aren't there, but if you get caught on once, the odds you get caught on again or higher, and some teams were still worried by the medical that they saw, uh not like Brady Aiken medical level-wise, but all 30 teams got to see it. And some of them were like, I don't know, a couple took him off the board, essentially, like those teams I mentioned in the late 20s that were like, he's not going to get to us, but if he does, I don't think we're going to take him. Um, while the Rockies basically said, he has been hurt for seven years, we know the doctor, we're confident he's healthy. And uh, there have been a lot of examples in the past of guys where baseball's kind of split, like Ryan Stanek with uh, Arkansas that went oh, yeah, to the right. Rays was one of them. I know some teams took him off the board. Six or seven teams wouldn't take him. And then some teams were like, well, what are you guys talking about? We're fine with this. And Sean Maniah was like that. There's a lot of guys that have been like that. So we'll see how it plays out. The track record of those guys, however, is not very good. If more than a couple teams take you off the board, things tend to not work out. And I bet the list of pitchers that go in the first round that had no red flags probably isn't as encouraging as you think it would be anyway. So it's not like... Not like I'm saying that there's some sort of witch doctor witch casting of uh of who gets hurt and who doesn't, but that's the context of Freeland. The good part is he's a six three, six four lefty with above average command of a fastball and slider that both flash plus, sometimes they're above average, sometimes are plus. Change of change of workable, th- throws an average uh an average curve. It's three four starter upside. And he was on fire down the stretch where I think he had over 100 strikeouts and just like a handful of walks. Like, the numbers were insane, but he also wasn't facing a lot of guys. And it sounded like this stuff ticked off down the stretch for he went from sort of like a 15th to 20th overall kind of guy to like a top 10 guy. So that's what he is, sort of third, fourth starter. But there's some sort of interesting risks. Uh, to sort of figure out. And so I think if he has, I mentioned in the report, if he has like a good season next year and throws like 150 innings and doesn't get hurt and everything looks great, then I think everyone will kind of forget about all this. But the fact that his velo kind of spiked in the last year or so and the deliveries are perfect and he has an interesting, unique uh, injury background, people aren't sure what to make of it. Uh, Gray, as I said, is probably a third starter, but has some other interesting risks. But now it's, it sounds like after his first full year, those injury concerns of Kenneth's body handling it are kind of gone. Uh, so that's why he's, I think, a little higher upside. I think a little higher likelihood. But if Freeland ends up being better, it wouldn't shock me. Uh, which is why they're both in that top group of, uh, of pitchers.
0: Right. And, and then, uh, you mentioned with Freeland, there's some, there's some concern. Not just injuries, but with mechanics. There's the case of Danny Winkler, um, who is uh, only mentioned in the sort of uh, others of note section here, which is uh, towards the end. It's below
1: the Sistuli's fringe uh, prospect. That's real low.
0: It's pretty low. Uh, At the same time, it would be hard to find someone who's produced considerably better minor league numbers over the last couple of years. I think Winkler might have led all minor leaguers in strikeouts last year, even something like that.
1: And he's related to Henry Winkler. Is he really? No, I just made that. No. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he is, but I figure I, we would have heard about that if that was the
0: case. He probably would have. But he's, 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 he's he has struck out a lot of opposing batters in his minor, in his minor league career.
1: And he went to the right college, same as me, UCF.
0: UCF, right? And he go, was right. Stri- go Knights! And he was striking out a lot of batters this year before uh, he re- he required uh, surgery.
1: Yeah, uh, a couple scouts made sure to bring him up. Although he he was on my list, sort of further down my list to bring up, because I kind of knew he was a huge tough guy. And, uh, yeah, they were like, it's like 86 to 92. Everything's kind of fringy. Uh, it's kind of like a spot starter. If he gets real lucky, maybe a fifth starter that hangs around for a couple years kind of guy. Y- you don't get super excited about him. But it's ridiculous amount of deception. He somehow looks like he's throwing uphill. Uh, nothing's even close to plus. Nothing's even above average. Plays off the fastball. Lots of life crazy deceptive, can't see the ball. I mentioned Andy Sonnenstein at One Scouts. Yeah, it's kind of like that. But they're like, the arm action's way worse. The delivery's not good. We kind of thought this wouldn't last very long. And then his elbow popped this year, and they're like, who knows if it's even going to come back the same way, because obviously Command is supposed to be the last thing to come back for TJ guys, and he's like almost all Command kind of guy.
0: Right, right, right. Uh,
1: and he was already kind of like a – he would have been like one of the last two guys on the list, probably the last guy if he was still healthy. Just because he was, you know, right there and could probably do something, and seems seems smoke and mirrors enough, he could get some outs and cores. Uh, but then I ended up move move him to the uh others list, and I don't know if he's ever going to work his way off that.
0: Right. Well, yeah,
1: but but it's interesting. And they also have another guy like that that's sort of less extreme, named Connor Wade. That I was a little surprised you didn't bring his name up. Uh, but he sounds, sounds like he throws a little harder. He's like 88 to 91 with plus life, and been, he's also sort of a fringy, you know, gritty gets the most out of it, could end up sort of replacing Winkler as sort of that guy that, you know, gets in the upper levels and gets to the big leagues and was never sort of heralded as such.
0: Right. Uh, uh, let's see. Oh, oh, well, we've, we've already hit the half hour mark. That's good. That's good of us. Um, uh, Winkler, I mentioned, uh, I don't know if there was necessarily anyone else in the Rockies organization, unless, unless there's someone I've uh, forgotten to mention.
1: Um, well, I think, I think Pedro Gonzalez is kind of interesting. Um, when I was the Dominican in January, he was at, like, every event I went to. Uh, so he was very easy for me to scout. And I stood next to him, and he's, like, a legit 6'5 shortstop and couldn't weigh more than 160 pounds. So it was very interesting to watch him. And uh, I talked to a Rockies source that compared him to Alex Rios, said he saw Rios playing third base the first time he saw him and thought he looked like that physically. And he can play a pretty decent shortstop right now. He could put on 60 pounds, though, so you kind of assume that's not going to work out. I'll probably end up at third base. He'll probably have 15 to 20 homer power. He's not a great runner, uh, but he's got really, really good body control, especially for 16. Like, guys that big aren't able to make tons of contact and play short at 16, so the fact that he's already got that body control, um, speaks to what he could become. Some guys mentioned Manny Machado, which I think is unfair just because they kind of look similar physically doesn't mean they have the same talent. But he yeah, got 1.3 million. He's fluent in English, uh, gives a good interview. And I don't know if they, they, they tend to be uh, conservative with their guys. You're probably not going to see him at 17 or 18, uh, you know, getting like a full season in a, in a full season league in America. Um, but he could be a really interesting guy, and I think one of those sort of unique guys that people will find interesting, although it 's still a really long way before he 's sort of on the radar to where the more mainstream fan will you know have a thought about him
0: right and then uh, just finally a um, different organization, but relevant because of his because he 's already in AAA now is is Carlos Rodan. you mentioned him earlier with regard to the sort of changes in velocity from him and how maybe that was not always part of uh, a number of the reports that you would read about him he's uh i don't necessarily know what his vo- uh, velocity has been at as of late i don't think it's it's not in the high 90s but he's uh striking so many minor leaguers out right now i mean it's, it's only 16 17 innings uh but that's what uh, he was expected to do and that's what he is doing and uh, at this point he's uh, uh he's had two pretty successful appearances at triple a uh which is which is not a thing that one could typically say of a player in his in his draft year and it um raises the question if like uh, Paco Rodriguez and Chris Sale who I believe are the only two players in the last 5 years to make their debut during their um during their draft year if you know if he's going to be added to that that list
1: uh I would guess he will be. I don't know. Obviously with sale, the Red, the White Sox have a history of doing this. Uh, actually one of the, uh, one of the, uh, writers I've been sort of helping develop on the side, uh, saw him a week ago and wrote a report that'll probably be on the site next week, I would guess. And he was 92 to 95 and hit 97, which is as good as his velocity's ever been before. So somehow he went from knockout as a freshman to, uh, around 90 or 91 as a sophomore. And then summer after sophomore year, he was that knockout guy again, hitting 97. And then early in his junior year was sort of low. And then toward the end had a couple games where he was hitting 97. And then now after he signs, he's hitting 97. It sounds like most times out. So you explain to me where that's going to head. Uh But the, I think the thing with Rodon is he's six foot 235. He's been that size for three years. He was off of some boards out of high school for a back problem uh, there was one particular game this year when he played at Maryland and it was like 40 degrees where he was like holding his back like an old man almost and uh was having trouble locating his fastball command was below average almost every outing this season uh, and at that outing in uh, Maryland was mostly in the 80s to low 90s. So we know what the negatives are. It's not going to get any better. 92-95 hitting 97 is as good as it gets, and I think it'll probably settle in similar to Gray as like a 91-94 to 94, hit 95 kind of guy. Whether that starts next year or starts three years from here, I don't know, but it's like sort of when he hits his peak, I think that'll be what he is. So I kind of have a 55, maybe 60 grade on the fastball, even mm-hmm. though right now it's more of a 65. Um, the thing he needs to work on, oh, and then Slider, when he's throwing that hard the up to 97, sometimes it's an 80, sometimes it's a 70. Sometimes it's a 70, but you'll see a bunch of 60s and 55s in there. Like, it's still a little hit and miss, uh, but he will it's crazy that sometimes he can be throwing 90 to 93 and the slider will be 88 to 90. Like, it's kind of unbelievable. No one's ever really seen that before. Um, and it's always above average, no matter how bad his command is or his feel is at the given moment. So I think it'll probably be settle in as a 70 and the change up to 50 to 55 pretty consistently. So I think he's going to have two above-average pitches that knock out separator slider and command, I think overall is below average, but I think he can make some adjustments. He's shown uh a delivery with a head whack and some effort before. He's shown a much smoother one before. I think they'll be able to work that out. I think it'll be a fifty five to sixty fastball, a fifty-five change up, fifty command, seventy slider. I think that'll be where he settles in two to three years from now. Mm-hmm. Uh and that's what I guess probably a number two starter. Uh and I think he'll, you know, be that number two, number three area uh for a couple years. Um, or, or or I don't know, six years or however long it is. I don't know why I'm trying to guess how long it's going to happen.
0: Yeah, you don't have to. You don't have to predict that six point three years.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah, but I, I think I think that'll be where it settles in. I again, it's one of those situations where if you told people when when Felix Hernandez is a huge prospect that he was going to be throwing ninety ninety three, they'd be like, oh my god, what happened? What's wrong with him? It's like no, that's what happens. You just you know aren't paying attention to that when you're watching him win Cy Youngs. So right.
0: I, or alternatively, that his fastball would get faster, his changeup would get. No, his fastball would get slower, his changeup faster, and then he would have a career year doing that.
1: Yeah, exactly. And yeah. then the, like another thing that I always point out to people is Verlander and Lincecum. Uh, Verlander, I think, went second overall, and Lincecum went tenth. Uh, both of them didn't have a changeup or good command out of college, and then they both had a changeup become maybe their best pitch and learn how to command all of their pitches after they signed. Uh, and I think both of those guys are seen as, like, pure stuff guys that aren't, like, adjustment guys so it, there's still a lot of things that happen after a guy gets all of his prospect hype and sometimes this stuff happens after you get to the big leagues like i think most of verlander's uh adjustments happened in sort of triple a big league level where there's not like a lot of sort of prospecty stuff happening you're not getting a lot of writing and a lot of this is what he did and this is where he ranks and all that sort of thing which i'd like to eventually help change that at fan Graphs. but um so I, all that to say The the hype as an amateur and as sort of a minor league prospect on lists often doesn't represent how good the player is for a number of reasons we just described. So try to adjust your expectations and just hear, hear someone say number two or number three starter and realize that what we mean is there are eight to 12 number one starters, there are like 20 number twos, and then there's like 60 or 70 number threes or whatever it is. And so when I say number two or number three starter, I mean one of the top 20 to 40 starters in baseball. And that's really good. Like there's on average one of those per team. So for some people that definition means a number one starter. Whereas like in the comments for the article today for the Rockies were like, oh, Jonathan Gray's a number three, what are you saying? He's like Randy Wolf, which is wrong for like a hundred different reasons, but uh that's not what I mean. And then somebody responded in the comments, well, if you were to just take the uh Um, the 60th to 90th best pitchers in baseball, which isn't technically what number three starter means, but close enough. It like includes James Shields and some of these guys that have, you know, maybe even been considered a number one at one point. And I was like, yes, that's what I mean. So again, that's one of those things I will explain. And, uh, and people I think will better understand when I can put sort of tool grades on big leaguers. But, um, but yes, pitchers change over time, and people get that snapshot stuck in their mind. So try to ignore that part and just pay attention to the end part where I tell you how good he's going to be. Because yeah. that, that maps to an ERA, which maps to how good he is, and don't necessarily pay as much attention to the, the components, because
0: that can sometimes be misleading. Okay. Well, thank you, Kylan McDaniel. Yeah. For- uh,
1: I was going to say one other thing. Um, I think what I'm going to do – so the next team up in the in the prospect rankings is the Diamondbacks.
0: Right, and Blaine Weller. We'll be present. Wait, are you going to have Blaine Weller?
1: I don't know where he's going to be. I, I can't lie to you. <laughs> All
0: right. Well, if you're not going to have Blaine Weller in your, uh, you know, your top guys, he's he's Stouli's guy automatically.
1: Okay, that's fair. Um, so here, I've been brainstorming this today. I don't think I've told anyone this. Either. We're going to break a story here as to my intentions. Breaking. Breaking. Um, so what I think I'm going to do, I was going to do some draft stuff. So I wanted to do, like, Top 50 to 75 rankings for next year's draft, now that sort of the summer season's over. I think I'm going to do that next. I think I'm going to push back the D-backs a week. I think I'm going to do some draft lists. I'll probably do some 2016 and 2017 draft lists, obviously shorter than the, the 2015 draft lists. And I also uh, was noticing in the comments, like in the articles I'm saying, this is what the tool grades mean. This is where you can see them. This is how to understand what they're indicating as far as the player's upside as I explained on my rant about pitchers and how they change, people aren't completely understanding this, which I understand uh, because it is confusing. Like I had to just go on a 20 minute rampage explaining something I've never explained in, in length before to correct people that are Fangraphs readers who may not be sort of prospect people and telling them how they don't understand baseball. And I do like, I get how that's <laughs> kind right. of a, kind of a douche move. Um, so I've been promising a like double digit multi-part series explaining what each tool means and what every part of all of these prospect reports means and sort of clearing up what some of the lingo means and exactly like the starting pitcher thing I explained, might be its own article to just sort of lay all that out. I think I'm just going to do – if I'm going to take a break from the list for a week to do the the draft stuff, I think I'm just going to knock all that out. Just do like one article every day for you know eight days and get all of that out of the way because people that are coming in halfway and just seeing the Rockies list because they're a Rockies fan and somebody linked to it – it's not quite as easy to find all these explanations or find these podcasts or put all this time into it. And I'd like for them to be able to, you know, click on the Joey Gallo player page, see the tool grids, and just have a link to, here's all the explanations. If you want to know what all this means, then here's all of it to read. If you just want to know what one of these numbers reads, then follow a few links and you'll get to the right spot to figure out what that one means. And if you don't want to know it all and just ignore what this means and go in the comments and say this is stupid, then you're free to do that. But now we know it's because you didn't put the time in. Right. And I'd like... I would like more than anything for people to understand what I'm saying, to not have to put time in, but <laughs> but that's not where we are right now. So may- maybe one day that we'll have uh, broad baseball scouting literacy, but we're not there yet, but I'm here to fix it.
0: All right. Well, uh, we look for it to be repaired. We are looking forward to reparations. I
1: don't see things? how that could be a loaded statement at all. I think we're good. Let's <laughs> stand with that.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, Kylie, thank you for that. Thank you for what is to come looking forward to it and uh, we we'll, we'll do it again next week maybe we can we can go over those tools uh, tools pieces yeah, yeah.
1: one one tool bringing you all the tools
0: yeah that's right you're the you're you're the handsomest tool in the shed
1: that's fair yeah my family's from Alabama so I, I can't act like I'm above that
0: all right all right well thank you Kylie for your for your 40 minutes appreciate yes, it. And- Indeed, sir. Stick around for one second, but in the meantime, I will say that has been Kyla McDaniel, lead prospect writer for com. I'm Carson Stooley, and this has been Fangraphs Audio.